0: Good morning to you. Good morning. And a happy new year. Back in the 80s, there was a popular toy that became a popular cartoon that has now become an even more popular movie franchise. And the cartoon had a catchy hook. It went like this. Transformers, more than meets the eye. Why more than meets the eye because your plastic jeep or jet could be transformed into an Autobot or a Decepticon and then the fight was on that was the basic premise and in similar manner our text today is going to say that there's more that meets the eye in the matter of meat sacrificed to idols now since there's more than meets the eye to the matter of meat being sacrificed to idols, we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes to see these truths clearly today. And so, as you turn in the Word of the Lord to 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10 is on page 1217 of the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. So, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, use ours. Page 1217, 1 Corinthians 10. As you turn in the Word of the Lord, Let's turn our hearts to the Lord of that Word and ask Him to bless our time together today. Let's pray. Thank You, Lord, for this new year. And yet we have the same eternal truth to guide us as a lamp unto our feet. We pray in this time together today that as Your people, in Your Word, that by Your Spirit You would speak. And that we would become re-sensitized to realities to which we have probably become desensitized, indeed secularized. Help us not to become obsessed, but help us to be nonetheless careful and cautious and clear-headed. Help us to stay away from that which would uh, cause you to have a righteous jealousy and provoke you to action against us I pray Lord as we look at many scriptures today in light of the one scripture before us today that the whole counsel of God would produce in us a very clear understanding of where we're standing on this issue we pray this in Christ's name amen so the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 10 beginning at verse 14 therefore my beloved flee from idolatry I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. And are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what the pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? For several Sundays, we have been in chapter 9, discussing how sometimes our Christian rights must be left so that others can become brothers. And that discussion is an extension of what is first mentioned back in chapter 8. And chapter 8 dealt with our liberty being lived in love. Now, what was the biblical situation that caused Paul to speak to the congregation about liberty being lived in love? And it is the very same subject in chapter 8, that we are on in chapter 10, but it's going to take a very different turn from 8 to 10. And it is the teaching regarding meat, sacrifice to idols. And so I want you to just for a second to turn your minds back to 1 Corinthians 8, which was several Sundays ago, because God's Word is going to set us straight about a central premise in this thing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know an idol has no real existence. That is, there is no God but one. So in the sense of are these idols gods, the Bible's clear, no, they're not gods. Verse 5, chapter 8. For although there may be many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and and many lords, and yet for us there is one God, the Father uh, from whom all things and for whom all things exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, so that's entirely true. But in chapter 10, he's going to say that's true and there's more to that truth. The fact that idols are not gods but rather so-called gods does not necessarily mean there isn't more than meets the eye when it comes to idols. And that brings us to our first point today. If you pull out your bulletin, uh, you can follow along. Most of it is here for you. You can fill in the blanks. The cross-references are there for you. There are many cross-references today. I encourage you to go home and look at them, see that they are in context and speaking to this particular situation. The first point we need to understand today is quite simple, but it's very important. And that is that spiritual activities are inherently infused with spiritual entities. Now, that seems so obvious we shouldn't need to state it, but we live in a very secular culture and we forget it. Spiritual activities are inherently infused with spiritual entities. Listen again to verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, that is, he's referring to the Lord's Supper, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we are all partakers of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. So now he goes back to the Old Testament. Are not those who eat the sacrifices in the Old Testament at the temple, at the altar? They were what? They were participants in the altar. Now, He's going to take this to the Greco-Roman world, but he started by establishing what we do as Christians and what Old Testament saints did. And in the Greco-Roman world, uh, this, the, the, the pagans would pour out small libations uh, of wine from their cups. They'd have these meals in, in, in honor of the supposed deities, and before anyone took a drink and eventually got drunk, they would pour out some to what? In honor of the deity. Um, these meals were, were, were held because you were trying to build a bond between the participants and the so-called deities for which the dinner was supposed to be in honor. And, and the Bible says in a very limited sense, what was true for the pagans when the meal was overtly infused with spiritual significance was in some way also true for the Jews. Uh, The Jews had a very important Passover meal once a year. And it was a meal that was highly symbolic and it was deeply spiritual. And in this spiritual meal, there was a third cup. It was the last cup of the Passover. And the Jews called it the cup of blessing. Now, the, the, the Christians understood the fullness of what was happening there in the passover and they saw the fullness of that in jesus christ and they saw that how in the passover were pointed to a greater redeemer and that is jesus and they would then carry the cup of blessing terminology into the lord's supper and they would call the cup the cup of a blessing now The Bible teaches, and is going to teach more in 1 Corinthians uh, 11 in a future Sunday, that, that the Lord's Supper is a symbolic meal for a spiritual purpose. It's a symbolic meal for a spiritual purpose. The Lord's Supper is a distinctly religious meal. To say that the Lord's Supper has no religious significance is ludicrous. The point of the Lord's Supper is not to eat and to drink, but to honor Jesus Christ. And Paul will spell that out very clearly in our next chapter, when he writes this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And do this in remembrance of Me. And in the same way, He took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So, so this spiritual meal right here, and again... <laughs> I just preach Sunday by Sunday and it's, it's interesting that with guest preachers and snow days, and it's the Lord's Supper and how wonderful. I didn't plan it that way because Jesus is running the show. But I'm glad that He is. So, so this spiritual meal is inherently, it is inseparably fused with the spiritual entity. That's the point of the Lord's Supper. Amen? Okay, And that's why uh, those who partake of the Lord's Supper but who do not yet know of the Lord, or those who, who do know the Lord but who, who eat the Lord's Supper as though it matters little more than a sip of juice and a bite of cracker, but those saints face disaster. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven 27 warns, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that is, without understanding Jesus, will be guilty of concerning, uh, concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, so to eat of the body and and drink of the bread, excuse me, to to, so to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that is Christ, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So Paul is saying, in in using this wording, that, that spiritual activities are unavoidably infused with spiritual entities listen again to verse 16 the cup of blessing that we bless it is it not a participation in the blood of christ the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ. Now, what is true for us was also true, us at the Lord's table, is also true of the Jew at the altar and the temple. In verse 18, consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices at the temple, at the altar, what? Participants in the altar. So, that takes us to the situation of the pagan temple banquet the meat sacrificed to idols the meat offered to idols Paul says the meat doesn't matter he says eat whatever is served without saying matters of conscience meat doesn't matter then he says the meeting oh well that matters you see, the meat is nothing, and we can take everything with thanksgiving. But the meeting, if you are partaking in something that has an inherent spiritual meaning, then you need to understand that there are spiritual entities involved in that. And you need to be very careful to avoid that. Friends, meat is neutral. The meetings are not. When we eat at the altar, when we eat at the Lord's Supper, when we eat at a pagan temple, we are unavoidably participating in worship of that spiritual entity. Participation in a spiritual activity is not neutral. It is always and unavoidably worshipful. Now, our worship is either beautiful or it's blasphemous our worship is either holy or it's idolatry those are your options it's binary when it comes to worship and my beloved the Bible says we must flee from idolatry what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons not to God and I don't want you to be participants with demons, he writes. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And he says this. Now you and I, if we had, oh, demons. <laughs> Let's not do that. We don't want anything to do with demons. Then he says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? His trump card isn't, oh my goodness, you're dealing with demons. It's God's going to get very unhappy with us. Huh. Now, modern Westerners are often quite secular. So we tend not to think about, we're very comfortable with meat is just meat and I can do all things to the Lord. Yes, but the meetings we shouldn't get comfortable with. Because spiritual activities are unavoidably linked to spiritual entities. They may not be gods, indeed they're not, but they're not good. Ephesians 6 is instructive in this. You might write Ephesians 6, 12 next to this passage. Ephesians 6 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And that's going to bring us to our second point today. Our second point today is this. There is no God but one. However, demons use spiritual activities to receive worship deceptively. There is no God but one. However, demons use spiritual activities to receive worship. How? Deceptively. They're out to deceive you. They're lying spirits. 1 Corinthians 10, 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what the pagans sacrifice, they offered to who? To demons. And not to God. And I don't want you to be a participant with, with demons. Are the gods that pagans worship gods? No. Not at all. There is no God but the one true God. Psalm 96 is very clear on this. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. While there is no God, but the one true God, friends, there are other supernatural beings who like to masquerade as gods. 2 Corinthians 11 gives a warning from heaven. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. That's 2 Corinthians 11. 14 and 15. The Lord Jesus warned us in Matthew 24, 24. All right? So you got 12 apostles, you got 12 tribes, you add them together, you get 24, you're dyslexic, you can remember it, 24, 24. Right? So Jesus warned us in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and they will perform great signs and wonders. Friends, it's not just charlatans. Charlatans can't perform great signs and wonders, supernatural entities can For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So Jesus is saying there are going to be things that show up that seem religious, that seem powerful, that seem supernatural, because they are. They're just not good. And so you need to hold fast to the one true God. Spiritual activities are always tied to spiritual entities. Those entities are not gods. They are deceitful spirits. They are demonic beings who crave worship. And they will deceive people in order to get it. 1 Timothy 4.1 is clear. Where do all the false religions of the world originate? The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits And the teaching of demons. You go, how can people be so powerfully swayed by these lies? And the answer is because these lies are powerful. And they come from the father of lies. It is the doctrine of demons and the deception of the deceiver that insidiously ensnares folks to become true believers in false religion. This is how it is now, and Jesus tells us this is the way it will be until He comes back in the very end. In Revelation chapter 16, the Bible warns us that the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters dried up to prepare the way from the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet... Three unclean spirits like frogs. Verse 14 tells us what they were. For they were demonic spirits. And what did they do? Performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world. They're going to get major followers from major influencers to assemble them for battle on the great day of the Lord. Why would anyone rise up against the Holy One? And the answer is because you think you have a better one. Not because you don't think there's anyone. One theologian put it this way, quote, there is never a God behind an idol or a false religion. But there is always a spiritual force and that force is always evil. It's always demonic. Therefore, Christians should have no part in it. Friends, there is no God but the one true God but the demons will use spiritual activities to receive worship deceptively. And so we must be discerning or we will be deceived. Did you know that all religions are not the same? Did you know that all roads don't lead to heaven? If I were to board a plane heading to Cleveland, I will not land in New Zealand. Even if I'm very sincere on why I'm here, the plane headed to Cleveland doesn't land in New Zealand. All paths do not lead to heaven. Some of them say heaven and they lead to hell. And see, no amount of personal sincerity can alter that reality. In like manner, you need to hear this, only the Savior can save you. Only the Savior can save you. False saviors peddled by false prophets, aided and abetted by false spirits, give us false security that my works will work when only the sinless perfection of God's one and only Son can save us. Because only Jesus perfectly fulfills the law. Tempted in all points, yet without sin. You and I can't save ourselves. Our good works won't cut it. If there was another way to heaven, God would have not sacrificed His one and only Son to get us there. He would have said, take that way. But friends, there was no other way. And so God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. There isn't another way to heaven, and that brings us to our third point today. The worship of the one true God is inherently exclusive. The worship of the one true God is inherently, definitionally exclusive. What is the very first of the Ten Commandments? You ever thought about that? If I was going to sum up the law in the top ten list, What would I start with? Well, here's what God starts with. Exodus 20 and verse 3, You shall have no other gods before Me. Exodus 20 and verse 3, You shall have no other gods before Me. Jesus was super clear on this. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Me. The apostles understood this, my friends. In Acts 4, when Peter and John were being interrogated and intimidated, trying to have the Gospel message become mitigated, well, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, responded to his interrogators and their intimidation with this, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so the Apostle Paul in our passage today is equally clear on the exclusivity of the one true God in verse 21. Friends, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons because spiritual activities are inherently infused with spiritual entities. So those who belong to Jesus have no business engaging in demonic practices. You get that? Christians have no business engaging in, in demonic practice. No blood-bought saint ought to have any participation in the demonic. No believer in the truth ought to have any warrant entertaining the Father of lives. But we've become a culture that's entertained by things we ought to abstain. And even disdain. Now what's interesting, friends, it's not just the presence of evil that's vile. Oh my goodness, these are demons. They're unclean spirits. I don't want to be unclean. I want to be with God. It's not just the presence of evil that's vile. It's the offense against Jesus who loves us that ought to stop us from dabbling in the demonic. Which brings us to point four on our outlines today. Point four is this. Dilution of our allegiance to Jesus' exclusivity or the pollution of our worship, even inadvertently, provokes the Lord's righteous and right jealousy. I'm going to say that again. It's a mouthful. Dilution of our allegiance to Jesus' exclusivity or the pollution of our worship, even inadvertently, provokes the Lord's right and righteous jealousy. When's the last time you heard a preacher tell you that? We've forgotten this. The holiness of God. I want you to look again at verse 22 and see why Paul warns all of us not to dabble in the demonic. And the answer is this. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? When God's people dabble in the demonic, we provoke the Lord to a holy jealousy. We're going to go to some passages here. Uh, uh, Exodus 34 was a warning to the Israelites. When they were spying out the promised land and they were looking to take the land and they hadn't received it yet, the Bible says in Exodus 34, beginning at verse 11, Observe what I commanded you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim, that is the worship poles, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God." Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods and you were invited and you eat of his sacrifice and you take of their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. It's very graphic language, isn't it? God's saying before you ever set foot in this place, you need to understand there's a bunch of problems, a bunch of temptations, a, a challenge to get involved in things that, that, is, that are wicked. And this wasn't a one-off warning in Scripture. It comes up again and again and again. We see it when God repeats the law to the next generation. There's 40 years of wandering. That generation that saw the land and heard the promise, well, they died. And now there's a new generation. This is Deuteronomy second Law, chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4.23, God again warns His people as they're about to go into the Holy Land. He says, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you and do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden for the Lord your God is a consuming fire he is a jealous God and after you've had children and grandchildren and lived in the land a long time if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger I call on heaven and earth as a witness against you this day that you will pass away quickly from the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, and you will not live there long, but certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will divide you. Now We see this again at the close of the book of Joshua. They finally take the land, and God says again, okay, you're in the land, but the land has a problem. God's people were supposed to go out and they were supposed to subdue the final areas of guerrilla resistance among the Canaanites. They were supposed to do that tribe by tribe instead of in total as an army. And they failed to do that. And in Joshua 24, the Bible says, verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do harm and consume you after having done you good. This good and gracious God can be provoked. Indeed, that's just what Israel did. In Deuteronomy 32:15, I want you to turn there in the Pew Bibles. Deuteronomy 32:15. it's on page 221. Deuteronomy 3215, um, page 221. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, 15. But Jerusharon, which means the upright one, which is speaking of his people Israel. When Israel grew fat and kicked, you grew fat and stout and sleek, and he forsook God and made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. And they stirred him. That is, God's people stirred God to jealousy. How? With strange gods with abominations they provoked him to anger they sacrificed here it is what did they sacrificed to To demons that were no gods now they thought they were sacrificing to gods the gods of the land but the god who made the land said those aren't gods those are those are demons and they are not gods to gods they had never known to new gods that had come recently whom your father had never dreaded you were unmindful of the rock that bore you you forgot the God who gave you birth the Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters and he said I will hide my face from them I will see what their end will be for they are a perverse generation children in whom there is no faithfulness they have made me what's the word? jealous with what is no God they have what? provoked me to anger with their idols So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. And I'm going to provoke them to anger with the foolish nations. Now I want you to flip in your Bibles to the Psalms. This is the worship manual. This is the Hebrew hymnal. They're going to sing this stuff. This is what they're going to worship with. Turn to Psalm 78. It's on page 622. Psalm 78, which is on page 622 of the Blue Pew Bibles. Psalm 78, we're going to start at verse 56. Psalm 78, 56. Asaph, who's a, a music minister, he's gifted in prophecy and praise, he writes about a dozen psalms in the scripture. His clan becomes a musical guild, every major revival in Hebrew history. Uh, after his day, he talks about the sons of Asaph, not as literal sons, but people that, that were used of God to stir the people of God, to think back about God. Asaph is a mighty man. And he writes this in Asaph's words psalm 78 verse 56 they're inspired by the holy spirit of the living god and yet they tested and rebelled against the most high god and they did not keep his testimonies but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers they twisted like a deceitful bow now here it is verse 58 for they provoked god to anger with their high places idolatry made god angry and they moved him to jealousy with what with their idols When they heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind. And he delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword. He vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Now go to the next psalm, Psalm 79. Psalm 79, Asaph again writes, this time at verse 1. Psalm 79, verse 1. O God, the nations have come into Your inheritance. They have defiled Your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of Your servants to the birds of heaven for food, the flesh of Your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will You be angry forever? Will Your jealousy, burn like fire. All right, now turn to Psalm 106. It's on page 642, Psalm 106, beginning at verse 34. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. They were supposed to get rid of these idolatries and these snares, and instead they kept them around. Indeed, verse 35, God's people mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. And listen to this, they sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. How involved were they in occult worship? They were involved to the point where they gave up their own children in brutal sacrifice, human sacrifice. The people of God. They poured out innocent blood The blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with innocent blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and they played the whore in their deeds. So what happened? Verse 40. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his own people. And he abhorred his heritage. And he gave them into the hands of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and they were brought into subjugation under their power. Many times the Lord delivered them, but God's people were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Friends, this is not just an Old Testament thing. We see it here in 1 Corinthians quite clearly. We ought not provoke the Lord to jealousy. For are we stronger than He? Now, jealousy is something we usually associate with being petty when you want something someone else has that's what we think of jealousy that's not how jealousy works with god there is a godly kind of jealousy that's not what we have (laughs) we have a petty kind of jealousy but there is also a godly kind of jealousy god is not jealous ever owing to his own feelings of inferiority But rather, God is jealous because He is righteous and He is the only holy being. And indeed, a just response, the only just and righteous response to the injustice of the worship of the inglorious in substitution of the worship of the truly glorious would be to become righteously jealous. God's jealousy for His glory is right and righteous because God alone is truly righteous. He's holy, it means He's holy, other. He alone is worthy of all honor and power and praise. Now, when you and I get jealous, it's because we feel threatened. Hey, friends, God is not threatened by the demonic. Some pipsqueak demon, even Satan, the biggest, baddest demon of them all. First of all, how many angels fell? Do you remember the math? A third. So two-thirds didn't. And who created the angels? God. And who will incarcerate the angels? God. And who will temporarily put them in captivity for a thousand years? God. Do you think God is even a little bit concerned about the one-third of the angels that he can create, incarcerate, and even incinerate? No. No. God is not threatened by pipsqueak demons who are destined to destruction because of their insurrection, but he is jealous for us. You have kids, right? You care about what happens to your kids, and you, a godly jealousy is aroused when something falls upon your kids. You see, he loves us, and so he does not want us caught up in the demon's deception, There's a preacher who put it like this. I found it very helpful. If you saw someone profiled as a cold-blooded killer on America's Most Wanted, you remember that show? And you watch the show and you see this guy and he's a cold-blooded, ruthless killer. And then you came to church on Sunday and recognized that he was dating one of your sisters here at Calvary. And it's the guy. You'd say to your sister, you'd say, let's talk for a minute. Hey, Sally, um... I saw that guy on TV. (laughs) He's a murderer. (laughs) You should stay away from him. And if she said, oh, you're just jealous, it would be because she failed to understand that you're not jealous of him, you're jealous for her. There's a godly kind of jealousy. Friends, God is jealous for us. He doesn't want to see us destroyed. Therefore, he will do whatever is necessary to bring us back to where we need to be. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 11.2 where Paul is jealous not for his own name or his own fame, but for the glory of God. Not to be robbed by the people of God who God has redeemed. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as pure virgins to Him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ and substitution for something else. Now, sometimes our participation in the demonic is utterly unintentional. We don't realize what we're doing. I want you to remember that the Corinthian Christians were correct that the meat didn't matter. There is no God but the one true God. But they were incorrect in concluding that the meetings didn't matter. In chapter 8, he said, yeah, eat whatever you want. In chapter 10, he says, eat whatever you want, but don't go to those meetings. The meat was neutral. The meetings were sinful. Look again at verse 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what the pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You see, dilution of our allegiance to Jesus' exclusivity, even inadvertently, provokes the Lord's right and righteous jealousy. For you cannot eat The table of the Lord and the table of demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So what are we to do? That brings us to point five. Point five today. We must use our good sense to judge where we ought to flee. We must use our good sense to judge where we ought to flee. Our passage could not be clearer about this message. I want you to look at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee, don't flirt, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Now, the Corinthians weren't always so wise. They divided into factions, they got involved in distractions, they found every corruption, right? But he still can tell them as saints of the living God, as people who've been redeemed, who have the word of God, he can say, look guys, Flee from immorality, I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Now, flee is a command in the Koine Greek. It's not an option for the Christian, it is a command of our king. We are commanded to flee from idolatry. Now, sometimes idolatry is really easy to identify. Oh, that's idolatry right over there. Deuteronomy 18 gives you a list. You're like, well, what's idolatry? Well, Deuteronomy 18 gives you a list of things you ought to flee from. Deuteronomy 18.10 There should not be found among any of you, anyone who burns her son or daughter as an offering. So, for those of you that haven't done child sacrifice lately, you're in good shape. Do you see how like, intuitively we go, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Anyone who practices divination tells fortunes. I was driving to my pastor cluster last week to Sparta and I drove past a fortune teller. So said there flashing sign they're right here you don't have to live in the first century anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or is a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium there are television shows named medium that we watch to be entertained or a necromancer someone who loves the dead or one who inquires of the dead I want to talk to Grandpa and find out if I should do this. But Grandpa's dead, so I'm going to go to a medium. There are Christians who have done that. That's not Christian. You shouldn't do that. For whoever does these things, it is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess. They listen to fortune tellers. They listen to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Friends, it really doesn't matter whatever the culture may venture. The Christian has no business in things like this. The people of the light should have no dealings in this kind of darkness. God's people have no business consulting psychics or mediums or fortune tellers. None. God's people do not need an astrologist and we shouldn't go to palm readers. It isn't fun. It isn't fascinating. It provokes the Lord's righteous anger. Christians should not be part of seances where you gather together to speak to the dead. Christians should have nothing to do with occult activity. There should be no reason I should have to say this repeatedly, amen? But I do. Do you know why? Because I've had many Christians tell me how they've gone to the tarot card reader or to the seance. Parker Brothers sells a game. Its intentions are not tamed. The back of the box says, Ouija spells fun. And the Lord says, run. Since spiritual activities involve spiritual entities, we must proceed carefully. Now, what about when things are covert and not overt? That's where it gets tricky. The Corinthians missed the problem of eating meals in the temple because they focused on the meat and the meat was neutral, but the meeting wasn't. And so they inadvertently... We're provoking the Lord's anger in their idolatry. And so how do we know when we have meat and when we have meetings, right? Because that's the question, isn't it? Jesus said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your... We need some thinking Christians or we're going to have some stinking Christians. In these situations, the Christian needs to use his mind. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to look at the Word of God, and we need to love God with our minds and not just with whatever feels good. Because it might feel good to talk to Grandpa because you miss him. But it isn't good. What you feel and what is true are not always the same. Philippians 1.9 And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge. And in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, so that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Hebrews 5.14 says, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. If you don't constantly let the Word of God guide your decisions, your feelings are going to tell you things that aren't true. And your friends are going to take you to things that aren't good. And you may end up provoking the Lord to anger. When are we encountering neutral meat and when are we encountering spiritual meetings? Where is the line between eating whatever is sold in the market without raising any question of conscience And when is the time we are to flee idolatry so we don't provoke the Lord to jealousy? That's the question. And I think the hardest place is where this is inadvertent, where we don't realize that we're not where we should be. That's where the Corinthians were. They didn't realize. They understood there's no God but God. They didn't understand that there were demons behind those meetings and they needed to not be in those meetings. And the basic premise that's going to guide you in this is this. Point one spiritual activities always involve spiritual entities so if you're in an activity that's inherently spiritual and it isn't jesus that's being put forward biblical jesus then you probably are not supposed to be in that situation so now we get into tricky things where christians get upset and so i'm going to probably offend everybody we'll give it a shot um, What about Halloween? So there are some saints that say you should have nothing to do with Halloween. Let me tell you, when Ethan was little, we let him trick-or-treat. He dressed up as Luigi, you know, the little guy from... And and, and here in New Jersey, he went with Aunt Lindsay and David, and we went around and we collected candy. And we didn't have a moral problem with that. I know some Christians that would have a moral problem with that, but that's not... Because wearing costumes and collecting candy was not a participation in divination. I am very aware of Halloween's origins, but the homeowners that we were going to were handing out candy because they were giving children candy, not because they were pushing forth demons. Now, if you, as a personal view, are not comfortable with that, if you wanna make your line harder than that, that's fine. However, if Ethan was invited to a Halloween seance, if Ethan was invited, we're gonna have Halloween, we're gonna play with the Ouija board, it's just a game. Do you know what our answer would be? No. Never. Amen. Do you know why? Because spiritual activities are always wedded to spiritual entities, even when we are not aware of those realities. In fact, the demons like to keep us unawares. Now, recently, some preachers have gotten in hot water about whether Christians should participate in yoga. To the extent that you're at a gym and you're stretching and breathing you're essentially engaging in calisthenics and body mechanics. Go for it. God made your body, and you can enjoy stretching and breathing. It will produce oxygenation and relaxation. When it's stretching and breathing, that's not a big deal. But when your instructor says, I want to align your chakras and starts speaking about your aura, friends, that's something spiritual, isn't it? That's a spiritual activity. And you know, wherever there's a spiritual activity, there's a spiritual... And if that entity isn't Jesus, then you have no business... You don't talk about hot yoga, it can get real hot, depending on who's behind that yoga. So, so when they break out the crystals and they want your fing to shui and your tai to qi, that can become something different entirely from breathing and stretching. Now, feng shui... Uh, to the extent that it's about architectural balance. So, if you're an architect and you go, Feng Shui is you like symmetry, symmetry's fine. God made symmetry. But when you're trying to metaphysically align the energy of the room to create a spiritual situation for your benefit, my friends, get out of that situation. Because it's no longer about architectural balance, it's about something spiritual. And spiritual activities are always connected to what, friends? Spiritual entities. We know there is no God but one. However, we also know that demons use spiritual activities to receive worship deceptively. So we must worship the one true God exclusively. Dilution of our allegiance to Jesus' exclusivity or the pollution of our worship even inadvertently. will it provokes the Lord to a right and righteous jealousy. So you and I need to use our good sense when we ought to flee. I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say and where you're invited in 2020. To those ends, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a jealous God. Firstly, because you alone are truly glorious. You alone are holy; other. You alone deserve all honor and glory and praise. And secondly, we thank you that you are not just jealous for yourself, but... You're jealous for us. That we might not dabble in matters where we will be harmed by our engagement. Lord Jesus, we don't want to become those people with an unhealthy obsession with the demonic. I've been here five years and have rarely touched on it. We don't want to be saints who supposedly find a demon under every rock. Who extra biblically run around binding and loosing things that your word calls sin, not demons. But Father, we recognize that even when something demonic was before your people, as was the case in the book of Acts, where there was a slave girl who made her masters of fortune by fortune telling through demonic power, it's interesting that the apostles didn't cast out the demon when they encountered it. Indeed, they kept preaching the gospel. And it was only when she kept interrupting the gospel preaching that they dealt with the demonic situation. And I think that's very instructive to us, Lord. May we deal with the business of gospel witness and not the peripheral of trying to find a demon under every rock. Holy Spirit, would you please help us not to obsess about these matters? But also, would you help us not to be naive about them either? and fail to understand that spiritual entities are always wedded to spiritual activities. So please, Jesus, help us this year better than last year to not dabble in the demonic, even inadvertently. Instead, when we remember that spiritual activities unavoidably involve spiritual entities, and help us instead to worship the one true God exclusively. Give us courage, Lord, To flee idolatry. We may be in a situation where our coworkers, it will become awkward if we leave the room because the room has become spiritual and not neutral. Give us a courage to be strong and courageous, to not be offensive, to not be difficult, to not be condescending, but to also be fleeing. Give us the wisdom to be a spiritually sensitive people so that we would accurately adjudge when we have liberty in the meat and when we ought to flee because of the meeting. And Lord, lastly, I ask that you'd help us not to be contentious about this, but that we'd be Christ-like and gracious and holy. Some saints beat each other up over these issues. Badger and pester and... Lord, you understood the demonic... You defeated it, but you focused on the cross and the resurrection and the gospel. And I pray that we would be those kind of people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.